There's an old episode of The Twilight Zone in which a man wakes up one morning and finds that he has a superpower. He has the supernatural ability to see himself as he really is. So this man walks into work and he greets his co-worker and the co-worker says, good morning, Mr. So-and-so, it's so nice to see you. But then through his superpower, he hears what she's actually thinking. Hmm. Oh, there's that manipulative jerk again. I have to put up with him for another day. When will I be done with this guy? And as he goes about his day, he has several more interactions like this, where he sees the facade that others present to him, and then he's presented inescapably with the truth of what they actually think about him. Until in the climax of the episode, he goes into the bathroom and looks into the mirror and sees himself once and for all as he really is. And in that moment, in all of his misery and wretchedness, he dies. And Lent can feel a little bit like this, can't it? It's this season where we directly address all that's gone wrong. All the regrets, all the failures, all of the compulsions that are out of control underneath. We take on what Dorothy Sayers called the deep interior, interior dislocation at the center of human personality. You know what I'm talking about, right? We have a three-letter word for it. Mm -hmm. Sin. It's the bad things that we've done, our misdeeds, but it's not just that. It's also a destructive power that grips us. For me, at least, talking about my own sin is, in a real and honest and specific way, is actually a very terrifying enterprise. It's one thing to generically say, well, I'm a big sinner, or I'm a sinner. Anybody can say that and give lip service to that, right? We're, we do that all the time in the church. It's a very different, whole other can of worms to understand how and why I sin and how it hurts the people I love when I do. Going into that is painful business, is it not? Mm -hmm. But the fact is that this interior dislocation, uh, this sin that we all have, will never, ever heal on its own if we keep it buried. It will never get better unless we stare it in the face. That's what Lent is actually about. But the thing is that you can't possibly bear to stare your own sin in the face uh, because it's too terrifying. Hmm. You actually need something else first. You need blood-bought mercy to be able to understand your own sin. So this evening I want to share with you a single sentence of scripture. Very, very small text. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This text concerns a transaction between two parties. First, there's us. You, me, Paul, the Corinthians, and everybody else who's ever uh, gotten down on their knees and cried out for mercy. Right? And then the second party is Jesus Christ, the God-man who, Paul says, knew no sin. What does that mean? He knew no sin. 
we know that it doesn't mean he was ignorant of sin or he was sheltered from sin. Jesus was very familiar with being on the receiving end of other people's sins. He knew what it feels like to be a victim. He knew what it feels like to be oppressed and rejected and betrayed. So when Paul says he knew no sin, it doesn't mean like he didn't know what it feels like to be sinned against. And it doesn't mean that he didn't know what it feels like to to be tempted. Jesus was tempted in the desert for 40 days by the devil, but the text leads us to be very cognizant that his temptation didn't end there. We have every reason to believe that every day of his life our Lord was tempted to choose an easier path. He didn't just float above the fray. Jesus lived a very difficult life. He was acquainted with sorrow. So he knew no sin means that even amid all this difficulty then, he never swerved from his father's will. He never gave in to the pride or the lust or the greed or the bitterness or the despair or any of these other toxic patterns that you and I call normal. He didn't, he didn't give in to that. It was qualitatively different than the death spiral in which we tend to engage ourselves. So it would make sense then, logically, for this man who knew no sin to receive the righteousness of God, right? That's fair. Um, All the bad people receive more sin and the punishment that comes with it, and uh, and then the one who knows no sin gets the righteousness of God, gets the reward, right? That's fair. That's how every Disney movie works. Right, uh, The good guys, Simba or Mulan or whoever, they all live happily ever after. And then Ursula or Cruella de Vil or all the bad guys, they get their just desserts in some sort of horrific way. It's fair. But that's not the gospel. Mm. God would have been fully, fully right, fully within his own righteous powers to act only for his own sake, but he didn't. Paul says that for our sake he acted, even though he didn't have to. And in the mystery of God, this man, this Jesus, who knew no sin, bore upon the cross not part of the measure, but the full measure of your guilt, the full measure of your shame, the full measure of your condemnation. So that in him, we, you and me, might become the righteousness of God. Hmm. That's grace. By definition, it's not fair. Have you ever thought about that? God isn't fair toward us. So this Len, I want to invite you to give up the illusion that somehow your sin is under control. Um, if, if your sin were under control, Jesus Christ would not have had to come and die. His death would be of no value to you at all. This Lent, I want us to remember that we're a people marked by grace, by mercy. And not cheap mercy, but mercy that was blood-bought. So let's repent of our sins and and trust in this one who actually has the ability um, 
to hold our sorrows and to heal us from the inside out. Amen.